God and, and enjoy the church. So uh, really want to encourage you, if you have friends and neighbors, coworkers, that kind of thing, uh, this is a great time and great thing to invite them to. At this time, before we go any further, I'm going to ask the junior hires, you are dismissed uh, to go with Hannah out to the junior high classroom, and uh, they always have a great time out there. Um, <clears throat> the final announcement before we get into this morning's message is the blood drive. I just really want to push that. It's coming up this week. It says that you can register by contacting Dan Gritton. There's also a sign-up sheet out in the lobby that you can fill out a time frame that you would like to come in on. Um, really want to encourage you to do that. Uh, great, easy way to be able to give of yourself, literally, and, and help people. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I want to encourage you to take part in that. So uh, if we have not met, my name is Shane. I'm one of the pastors here, and I get the privilege of sharing God's word with you this morning. And so we're going to do that in just a minute. I'm going to encourage you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 6, verse 46 through 49. Uh, we really encourage people to open their Bibles, to look and, and follow along, and we would love you to do that. So kind of if you're new with us, the way we do it is the key passages that we're really digging into, those are, we ask you, we, we like you to just find them and, you know, read them in your Bible. The ones that I go through quickly and I just mentioned, those will be on the screen, but uh, the, the ones we're really going to dig into, those we'd like you to, to find so you can find your way around God's word. So Luke chapter 6, verse 46 through 49 is where we're going to be today. We're starting a new series um, on the parables of Luke. So we spent this whole school year going through the Believe campaign, and we talked about the doctrines of Christ, following Christ, the, uh, some of the disciplines of following Christ, and the attributes of what it looks like to be a Christ follower. And now, uh, as we've come to an end of that, we're going to spend the summer going through the parables that Jesus taught that are recorded in the book of Luke. Now, I want to encourage you, if you are looking for some Bible reading, you don't know where to read in your Bible, you, uh, you're trying to get involved in Bible reading, but you're kind of not having a spot right now, read the book of Luke throughout the summer. Um, if you were to start today and read a chapter a day of the book of Luke, uh, by the time we're done with this series, you'll read through the whole book two times, um, and so you'll have that gospel kind of, you know, in your heart from reading that for uh, those two times. So I would really encourage you, uh, if you don't have a Bible reading plan right now, to follow along <coughs> with that. It'd be about five minutes a day to read a chapter a day. And so we're going to be looking at these parables uh, over the whole summer. Now, a parable, just so you know, is basically a story that illustrates a point. Uh, Jesus told a lot of parables, but he wasn't the only one. Many people teach through parables. It's not something just in the Bible. Um, it's just a form of teaching. So we'll be studying his specific ones through the book of Luke. So if you are with there, uh, you can follow along in Luke chapter 6, verse 46 through 49. It says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I'll show you what... He is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house... It collapsed, and its destruction was complete. 
Matthew actually records this uh, parable, and he actually says he built it on sand. He, he built it just on, on bad ground. He didn't, he didn't take the time to dig down to the hard, hard uh, bedrock. He just kind of built it on, on dirt that would wash away. <coughs> um, and if you're a builder, if you've built anything, you know the importance of a foundation, right? It, it, it's, a, it's essential, right? If you're going to build something that's going to last, to build it on a foundation. I, I'm not much of a builder. Uh, I, I've built a couple forts in my day, um, and uh, I have uh, uh, put a few things together. I, I, I tried to build some shelves and things like that at a few points, and I kind of told my wife, I can pretty much build anything you want half as good for twice as much. Uh, by the time I'm done, that's usually the way it's going to work. So I've learned, you know, it's not my forte, but I do know that if you want something to last, you, you have to build a strong foundation. Uh, if that's not strong, the whole thing falls apart. Uh, one of the families that goes to the church here just moved in behind us not long ago, um, and they um, the new new home and the concrete. Uh, not the not the slab of the foundation, but the the walkway just already started separating and and dropping, and he's had to have them come out two times to redo the concrete under their warranty. And each time they don't do anything to pack underneath. You know, so they just build it. They just pour the concrete right on the the loose ground, and it's going to keep happening. Why? Because it's going to settle, right? That, even on a walkway, it's going to settle. <clears throat> I want to show you a picture in just a second that, that I, I, as this week as I was illustrating, I just really felt like as I was studying, it really illustrated to me the importance of a strong foundation. Now listen, you're gonna, as you see this picture, you're going to think it's, it's Photoshop. I, I swore it was Photoshop, so I really dug in and, and started reading. There's like actual news reels on this. This is, this is real. This, this is a, a photo of a house that stood standing when everything else around it fell during Hurricane Ike. So let's look at this photo. So it, it looks Photoshop. There's closer photos of this house. You can look it up. There's all sorts of closer ones. But I wanted you to see, this is not obviously the best image, you know, but I wanted you to see those were homes around it, okay? Um, and as you get closer on this photo, I should have done a close-up one too. They, it, you can see that... This, this rubble around the house, and you can see the house has some areas where it's torn up, but, but it stands. Now, I don't know. It can't be just the foundation. There had to be some sort of thing happening with the storm, too, because, I mean, like, literally the shingles are on the roof. Everything's there. But, um, but I thought it was a pretty good illustration of how important it is to build on a strong foundation. One of the news uh, casters that I watched on the, as they were reporting on this, um, he, he said, he, he said well, I don't know who built that house, but I'm going to hire him to build my house. And uh, so the guy, the, the builder, actually used it as an advertisement for his, for his company. I thought, that's, that's smart. That's good. That's just, you can't, you can't buy that kind of advertising. Um, <clears throat> but it's important. It's important to have a strong foundation. Unfortunately, most of us, when it comes to our lives, we don't really take the time to build a firm foundation. Most of us, we, we focus on what the exterior looks like. Kind of like last week, we talked about ex these external markers we create, you know, within faith. Oftentimes in, in our life, we focus on these external things, the things that people are going to see Rather than really making sure we have firm foundation, that we have the character, we have the integrity, we have the faith to stand 
through the things of life. So I want to just take this um, parable that Jesus gives and kind of talk about it in three sections. I don't have fill-ins today. If you are, if you love fill-ins, I apologize. You're just going to have to fill your own in. You can underline certain words and make you feel better. Um, but, um, but we're just kind of breaking it up um, into, into three sections. The first section is the question that Jesus asks. Jesus starts with this question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Now think about that. that that's a pretty tough question he's asking. He's really hitting home pretty hard with that. Why do you give me this title, but your life doesn't show that that title means anything to you, in a sense, is what he's saying to his followers. Now, if you read up earlier in the chapter, in verse 17, Luke tells us that, that he, there was a large crowd gathered there. This isn't Jesus just sitting down with his 10 to 20 closest followers who are really just engaged with them. This is the crowds that have been coming. At this point, Jesus had started to attract a lot of people with his great teaching, with his miracles, um, and people were coming, they were following him, they were bringing their sick, much to hear what he was saying, but also kind of just to, to find something, you know, maybe see something cool or whatever, but in, in that, they kind of got, were getting wrapped up in saying, calling him Lord. Now, what does this word Lord mean? You know, we don't use the word Lord a lot. I still think we kind of get the idea of what a Lord is. The word is a Greek word called kuplos. And it's, it, it literally means this. The Lord is the master of something and having absolute authority over it. So he's saying, why do you say I'm your master? Why do you say I have authority over your life? And yet your life isn't showing it. Right? I don't know about you, but that's kind of a tough question, right? And it, it kind of hits home for me. It makes me think about the songs that I'm singing, on, you know, when I, when I worship and how I'm referring to God, and yet if I really examine every area of my life. Now, I say that to say this. We're all at different places in this, okay? So the last thing I want you to do here today is walk out and go, man, I'm horrible, you know, man, I, I just, I, I, I have this, these areas that I just, I haven't fully been able to surrender yet. The key of this, though, is he's asking us to understand that, to acknowledge it, and to continue being convicted to give more and more over. Not that we sit here in guilt and feel like horrible people. Right? We don't ever want guilt. We want conviction. Conviction actually leads us to move forward. Right? So, so understand that we're all at different places and that, and that God's grace is what sees us through, but, but we do want to really ask ourselves that question. Do I give Jesus the lip service of calling him Lord, but really pretty much live my life how I feel like, when I feel like, and, and say what I want and do what I want? See, Isaiah says in 29, 13, he says, the Lord says... These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. You see, this is Isaiah. This is Old Testament. This is far, far, hundreds of, hundreds of years before Christ is on this earth. And this is nothing new. That's nothing new. God's people have been guilty of this since the very beginning. This, this sin 
of wanting Jesus to save us, wanting God to, to save us, but not really wanting to follow him. So Jesus is addressing it. He's saying, why do you call me Lord, but you don't follow me? You don't obey. Now, sometimes in the Bible, when Jesus is upset or bothered with his followers, he will just lay into them, right? And he'll, like, be pretty harsh. Usually what he does is he, what he's doing here, he tells a story. He uses a story to get across his point. And so let's look at his story. He describes two builders, a good builder and a bad builder. Now, like I said, I, I wouldn't classify myself as a good builder. wouldn't trust myself to build anything structural. And yet, I, would, I, I think I know enough that I, I would know, okay, i got to start with a strong foundation. And Jesus is saying the good builder knows that he has to start with a good foundation. A good builder thinks about the long term in life, not just focused on the short term. A good, the good builder is willing to do the tough work of digging down deep and laying the foundation on the right surface. Now, I'm sure the guy that built that house in that pick took the time to build a great foundation. And when the storm came, he stood, it stood strong. Where is your life? Are you building your life on a strong foundation? Or are you focused on building your life on all the things that the world tells you you should build it on? On all the things that the world has to offer? So after describing the good builder, Jesus describes the bad builder. The bad builder just started building. He didn't take time to research the right spot. He didn't take time to dig a good foundation. He just wanted to get something up that looked good. You know, I would love to find a picture of that neighborhood before the storm. I'm sure if I did enough research, it'd be the pictures, some pictures. My guess is all those houses pretty much look the same. You know, pretty close to similar. Jesus doesn't take the time to describe these two houses, what they look like. But I think we can guess he's saying they built similar homes in the way they looked. In fact, maybe the bad builder actually, maybe their home looked better. Because maybe he said, you know, rather than spend the money on this foundation stuff that no one's going to see, I'm going to buy more decorative doors and windows and facings. I'm going to decorate the house better. I'm going I'm to do all these things to make it look nicer on the outside. But really on the inside, on the foundation, there's nothing there. So that when the storm came, Jesus actually said its destruction was complete. He doesn't say that it was shaken. It doesn't say it was cracked or disheveled. He said its destruction was complete, just like those houses in that picture. Nothing there. So what do we get from that? What does that mean for us? What's the application? Well, as you're going to see throughout this whole series, each of these parables that Jesus tells have a point. Some of, those, some of the points are more clear than others. And, and so some he'll explain. He'll literally just say, here's what this means. This one he doesn't because I feel like he's kind of saying, look, it's a pretty obvious 
illustration that, that I'm giving. But here's just some things that help us understand a little bit better. Just prior to this story, Jesus gives another illustration of fruit trees. And he says, if a fruit tree looks good, but it's not bearing any fruit, it's going to be cut down. Right? And we've probably all, if you've been around produce trees and that, and then you've seen at times, you can have trees that look kind of as good as the others on the outside, but they're not, they're never producing fruit. Now, some they they have bad years and good years, but some trees, they just don't ever get where they're producing fruit. So you don't just keep growing that tree just because it looks pretty. You cut it down so you can plant something with fruit. And Jesus is saying, if you don't produce fruit, you're, you're not, you're not really following after me. And then he tells the story of the good builder. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus tells this story. Matthew records this story, but he also records this teaching here. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name and then I will declare to them I never knew you depart from me you workers of lawlessness see Jesus is saying this application is clear it, it's clear but it's not easy is it it's actually I think one of the toughest parables for us to examine our lives in why do you call me Lord but you don't do what I say why do you call me Lord and live how you choose to live? Now, like I said at the beginning, thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Because the reality is all of us struggle with this. All of us have areas that we haven't fully turned over. All of us have areas that we, we are, are in a battle with, we're in a journey with. But there's a difference between the heart that seeks to be submissive and, and struggles and the heart that holds to themselves and says, I'm not letting it go. I'm doing what I want. I know what you say, but I'm holding it. God, I know you call me to forgive, but I'm going to hold my bitterness towards this person. God, I know you call me to, to deal with these sins, to get rid of these sins, to be, uh, to be accountable about these sins, to talk to someone about these sins, to be praying about them, to be turning them over to you, to be reading your word to help me grow out of these sins. But I choose to live in them. I choose to hold it. God, I know you call me to drop my pride and to humble myself, but I'm going to hold my pride. God, I know you call me to, to live at peace with others, to be patient and gentle, but I like being a harsh person. It keeps people where I want them, and I like the control of it, so I'm not going to stop. Do you see the difference? There's a difference with that, of that having those kinds of attitudes versus this person who says, man, I struggle with anger, and I, and I hate that I lose my temper. I hate that I, that I yell at my wife or my coworkers or my, my employees. And, and because of that, I ask for forgiveness and I humble myself and I, and I seek to grow in it. And I have someone that can kind of give me a look or a squeeze and tell me that it's time to calm down. I, or, or, or whatever it is, I, I, I know I need to forgive this person, so I'm praying about it regularly. And I have someone encouraging me in that. 
There's a difference in that and someone who just says, God, I'm going to be disobedient. But from the very beginning, there have been people who have wanted God to save us, but not wanted to follow, not wanted to listen, and not wanted to obey. And ultimately, the person who claims the name of Jesus, but doesn't submit, will not weather the storms. Their life will not weather the storms. They will not realize the promises of God, but they also, their faith will not weather the storms. I just want to share with you two words that for some of you, this is review. You know these words very clearly and could talk about them deeper than myself. <clears throat> but the first is justification. Justification says is this, the act of God bringing us as sinners into a right relationship with him through his forgiveness being justified through the work of Christ, okay? That's what justification is. We are justified, we are just in God's eyes. We are right in God's eyes through the work of Christ. We are justified, okay? Not because of what we do, but because of the forgiveness that is offered to us. Now, we live in a culture that loves this word. We celebrate that word. We, we bank much of religion on that word. But sanctification is another word. And it says this, to be made holy, washed, or more correctly, to be purified. Now, the reason I like the word purified is purification is a process. Purification isn't something that you don't, you don't purify something that has much density very easily. It's a process of purification. These two words go hand in hand. We can't have one without the other. Now, the, here's the cool thing. When we truly give our life to Christ, when we truly make the decision to follow him, in God's eyes, both of these happen. We're purified. If you, if you truly are, if, you, if you're seeking to follow Christ, in God's eyes, you're, you're, you're sanctified. However, you can't be sanctified unless it's something you're also seeking. You know what I mean? You can't just celebrate justification without also celebrating just sanctification, without also celebrating that God calls us to that. God calls us to the process of purity and, and purifying ourselves. A guy named Bishop C. Riley wrote a book called Holiness, and uh, I just want to share with you a, a little section from that book. It's a kind of a long quote, but I think it's worth it. He says this, I have no desire to make an idol of holiness. I do not wish to dethrone Christ and put holiness in his place, but I must candidly say I wish sanctification was more thought of in this day than it seems to be. And I therefore take occasion to press the subject on all believers whose hands these pages may fall on or who have to listen because their pastor's reading it. Um, I fear it is sometimes forgotten that God has married together justification and sanctification. They are distinct and very different things beyond question, but one is never found without the other. All justified people are sanctified and all sanctified people are justified. What God has joined together, let no man dare put asunder. Tell me not of your justification unless you have also some marks of sanctification. Boast not of Christ's work for you unless you can show us the Spirit's work in you. You see, we don't just get to celebrate what God has done for us until we also celebrate that he's working in us. And that's what sanctification is. Allowing God to work in you. 
not just saying, hey, I said a prayer, I was raised in this kind of family, I, you know, whatever, I, so I, I'm, I'm justified before God. You, we can't do that unless we also celebrate we are being sanctified by God, that his spirit is alive and at work in our lives. See, Jesus is saying a disciple obeys. A disciple doesn't just give lip service. John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, it says this. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. The truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. That's what Jesus is getting at. Look, you don't get to just sing songs with these great things about me in them. You don't get to just say who I am in your life unless you are also seeking to turn your life over on a regular basis, on a daily basis. That's what it means to call me Lord. I remember the first time I had a realization of this. I was actually a youth pastor when this really sunk in in my head. The idea that, for the most part, we talk about Jesus as Savior. Now, we sing in our songs about Jesus as Lord. But most people don't walk through life day to day thinking about Jesus as Lord. We'll give him the title. We'll give him the proclamation. But, but how often do we focus and be thankful for and, and live in such a way that we say, Jesus is my Lord versus just Jesus is my Savior. But he, he can't be one without the other. I want to just share a story I, th I thought illustrated this kind of faith, this kind of foundation in a, in a way that really challenges my personal faith. Um, the, these people had their foundation shook in a way that, uh, that I never have, and I, I pray God never chooses to, to shake mine this way. <coughs> but their faith was at a place where they're ready for it. It was about a, um, it's a story about a pastor named Scott Willis and his wife, Janet. And they were going on a trip, and they took the youngest of their children, they had a big family, so they took the young ones with them on this trip in a minivan. And while driving along the highway at night, the, they ran over a large piece of metal that struck the gas tank, punctured it, and the car became an inferno. By the time they were able to pull over and get out, um, the parents were being badly burned, and they got out and rolled. And, and, but by the time they were, the flames were extinguished on them, the, the entire minivan was engulfed. And as his wife tried to run and to open the doors and flames, he, his, Pastor Scott pulled her, and it was too, it was too late. Their children died in that car. And yet, as far away as you might think that they felt from God at that point, as probably as far as they ever did, this bandaged, burned couple who's still in physical pain gave witness to God's grace. Janet said this. She said, 
As I looked back towards the van and began screaming, Scott touched my shoulder and he said, Janet, this is what we've prayed our whole life for. At least it was quick and they're with the Lord. And she said, and he was right. Over the coming weeks, they shared a hospital room together and they comforted their, one another by watching videos of their kids, reading passages from God's word and talking openly about what had happened. And their living testimony amidst their tears and heartache is an instruction for us. Pastor Scott said, I know that God has purposes and God has reasons. God has demonstrated his love to us and our family. And there's no question in our mind that God is good and we praise him in all things. His wife, Jana, added, he's right. We belong to him. Oh, no. She added this. It's his right. We belong to him. My children belong to him. He's the giver and taker of life, and he sustains us. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't think of another scenario where my faith would be rocked more, where my foundation would be challenged more. And I pray that I would have that faith, that I would have the faith to trust God even in those kind of storms of life. And, you know, as I was thinking about this, we, we, we have to be at that. We have to get to that place in our faith if we are going to say God is good. Because, you see, it's easy to say God is good when, you, when we live here, when we have the privileges that we have in this country, when we eat three meals a day, we drive to our jobs and we have time off to, to enjoy life and our kids can be relatively healthy. But it's a whole other thing to tell God, is, to say God is good to a woman who's watching her baby die in her arms of malnutrition and, and simple diseases that we can cure with a vaccination. It's a whole other thing. And Christians around the world are able to say God is good in the midst of those things, in the midst of that kind of pain. They're able to see the goodness of God. And I don't know about you, but that really makes me think about my faith. It makes me challenge myself to say, if the rest of the world can see God that way, what about me? Where is my faith? If I built it on a strong foundation, or is there a lot of sand underneath that could easily wash me away? Last week we talked about transformation. And we talked about the external factors that we oftentimes look to. These indicators that we try to kind of put together to say, yeah, I fit. I'm, I've, I'm on God's team. And how, how that's not what it's about. It's about our heart. When we don't do the work of digging a strong foundation, we will be ruined when the storms come. I'll close with this. It's one thing to say I love someone. It's a whole other thing to live your life in a way to show it, to demonstrate love for that person. 
It's one thing to call Jesus Lord. It's a whole other thing to make him our Lord. God wants to strengthen you. He wants to reveal his promises to you. He died for you. He has your best interest at heart all the time. But until we trust him for the best and obey him, we're going to be bad builders. And our houses will not stand the test. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for kind of walking with us patiently in the midst of our disobedience, in the midst of our, our struggles as we, as we seek to turn things over to you, to seek to turn our life over to you, as we seek every day to learn more and more about what it even means to follow you. Uh, we thank you that you're not a tyrant looking to just pull the plug to, to wipe us out. But you are gracious and your mercy is good. And, and because of that, you are so patient with us. God, I pray that we, um, we desire to, to build our lives in such a way that honors you so that we would have the foundation that will give us the strength to stand through the storms. And you're never pray. Amen. Let's worship our King. Um, when I think of the word grace, before I even knew what it was defined as, what that word meant, I always thought of a ballet dancer, just really graceful and smooth and pretty. Um, but grace, grace means unmerited favor. 